Good morning, Sea Light Southwest Iowa. You know, I love when I get to come here and when Jason invites me to, to, uh, to preach to you guys because uh, one, one of the things that you guys have always done well is you always sing great. Like, you worship well. Um, I just, I loved being up here. I just closed my eyes and I was listening to you guys worship and it was absolutely amazing. So if it, like, if it thrilled my heart that much, I know this morning you thrilled the heart in worshiping the Father. So keep worshiping like that. It was such a joy to be a part of that. Um, as Tracy said, my name is Chuck, and I get to be one of the pastors at Sea Light Council Bluffs for a little while longer. I say for a little while longer because in just a really a few short weeks now, I've got three more Sundays left at Sea Light Council Bluffs, and on April the 12th, uh, we're going to be launching a Sea Light West CB, and uh, we're just looking, yes. <clears throat> We've been talking about this for a really long time, and pretty soon we're going get, to get started with the, uh, with the work, and to be honest with you, that's, it's both frightening and it's exciting. So, like, it's frightening because, um, like, I don't want to do something stupid that's just going to screw this thing up, you know, and, like, kill it before it even gets off the ground. And if you know me, you'd be like, yeah, Chuck, I'd be, I'd be frightened, too. Um, that's, that's not something I look forward to. But um, there's also, it's also frightening because when uh, we're exchanging something comfortable for something that's, like, unknown, we're exchanging something that feels good for something that's uncertain uh, over, over on the west end of, of CB. But it's not all frightening. It is exciting. We're excited about what God is going to do in, the, uh, in our part of the city. Um, Council Bluffs, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but it's divided by a, uh, by a, a set of train tracks. It divides kind of the, the west end from the east end. And in the part of the city that I live in, the west end, uh, Every demographic that you could think that's negative is like double. So think of poverty, think of high school dropout rates, think of um, single family, uh, single parent families. Um, all of those demographics are double of what you would have over on the east end. But it's not just about the demographics. Our city is a dark part of the city. The part of Council Bluffs that I live in is a, is a dark part of the city. And we're, we're dreaming, like, we just believe that where the, the things are darkest, that the light shines the brightest. Like, we want the gospel to push that darkness back and, and, and just shine bright and renew people's heart and see people come to, to know Jesus. <clears throat> what we want to see is we want more than just some people to gather in a room, sing some good songs, hear a good message, and go home. We want more than there to be a, a place with more, another place with more programs. Um, we want to be a church that really does something in our community. We want to be a church that, um, that re sees the community changed. Um, not too long ago, I was talking with a, uh, a pastor on the West End, and I, I said, man, if you could, like, ask God in your wildest dreams, God would say, I'll do whatever you want to do. What would you ask him? And he said, you know, 
I think I would ask for God to move maybe, maybe 20 or 30 more people into our church and maybe double the size of our kids' ministry to where we could have maybe 10 or 12 kids in our church. I was like, what? Like, we're dreaming of stuff bigger than that. We want God to renew our community. We want that darkness to be pushed back. We want people uh, to, to feel and to know the light and experience the joy of having Jesus in their life. We just don't want to add to a church and fill a room up. So we, we, want, um, we have dreams and hopes for what we want this church to look like on the west end of CB. We want this new church plant to have a certain identity in our community. And what we would love to see is for the greater community that we're a part of to reflect our church community. We want our identity as a church to become part of our identity of the city. And what we're praying for is that the identity of our church and that the identity of our city is defined by who we are in Jesus. Now, identity can be tricky, right? Um, actually, what do I even mean by identity? That's kind of a, an interesting word. Identity is who you are. Identity goes beyond your name. Like, I learned a lot of names this morning. Charlie has the same name as I do. I learned his name, but that's not his identity. It goes beyond what your social security number or bank account might say about you. Identity goes way beyond that. It's that thing that defines you. Identity is the foundation on which you are building your sense of self. Your identity defines your life. Now, identity has always been kind of hard for me. Until I was um, about four, I grew up in a home that was highly dysfunctional. It was... Um, uh, I, I really didn't have anybody that, like, you know how you have your little kids, you know, when they're, you know, just being born, and, you know, as they continue to grow, you're doting over them, and you're talking to them, and you're telling them how much they're loved. My home was, my home was so dysfunctional. I didn't have those types of things. After that, I was raised up uh, in a way that as long as I performed well, as long as I looked good, things went well for me. So I became whatever I had to become in order to look good, right? So in the times when I was killing it, I was feeling like things were going really well. But in those times when I was failing, I was pushing those things underneath, um, hoping that nobody ever found out. And if they did, I felt like I was paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. So my identity was very much wrapped up in how I performed. And it wasn't until I was married and had a couple of kids that a couple by the name of Kent and Catherine Wingett, they spoke into me what my true identity was. See, they opened up to me Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, here it is, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Listen, listen, City Light. True identity is who God says you are. 
What Kent and Catherine showed me was that the gospel changed my identity. All right? The gospel, the reality that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This simple gospel, this simple truth changed my identity. And that began a journey for me that saw God not as this like cosmic policeman that I was afraid that he was going to catch me doing something. He wasn't that dad that kind of, you know how it looked, you know, you kind of stood and your kid fails or something. You just go, oh man, that kid, not again. Like he, God went from being that type of person to being that dad that actually gets down on his knee. And when you fail, he opens his arms and says, come on, son, you're my boy anyway right? That, that changed a lot of things in my heart. The gospel changed my identity, and it had a huge, huge impact on me. It changed the, my marriage. It changed my parenting. It changed my work life. And here's some good news, City Light. Your identity isn't wrapped up in your family tree. Your identity isn't a sum of all your performances, your identity is who you are in Jesus. And if you place your faith in what he did for you on the cross, then Jesus says that our Heavenly Father looks at you and he says, that's my boy. Our Heavenly Father looks at you and he says, that's my girl. The gospel can change your identity. So, What's all this have to do with 1 Peter chapter 4? In the text that Tracy read for us this morning, Peter says less about our identity as a person and more about our identity as a church. Now, interesting, Peter doesn't use the word church at all in either of these uh, two letters, but he does use terms like exiles, a holy nation, people, and sojourners. Peter is clearly writing to the church that is scattered throughout all of these cities in this larger region. And he is telling them that the gospel has changed your identity. Look with me in verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Here's what Peter is saying. The gospel changes our identity, and together we become a family that has a changed identity. That's what the gospel does. That's how it's designed. The gospel changes our identity. So for the rest of our time together, I want us to see three ways that the gospel changes our identity as a church, all right? The first way is we are marked by love, we are known for hospitality, and number three, we are sustained by God's grace. Marked by love, known for hospitality, and sustained by God's grace. So let's get started with how we are marked by love. Look with me in verse number eight of chapter four. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that word earnestly, it's super important for us to understand. The earnest love that uh, Peter mentions here is a word for an how an athlete is, finishes his race. It's that last-ditch effort that an athlete 
um, uses to, to win the competition. Think of uh, a runner. Think of a race as you watch runners run down the finish line. You know how they kind of stretch out and they finish just to break the ribbon? That's this, what this earnestly means. It's a, it's a stretch. You're stretching out last-ditch effort. You're putting everything into that last moment. And um, have you ever done that? Have you ever made a last-ditch effort for something? Have you ever gave it your all right at the last moment when you didn't think you had anything left? That's what Peter is describing here. He's describing a type of love that lays it all on the line. Let me give you an example of how this worked out in my life. When I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team. And um, we went to a tournament, and I was uh, in a match that I never should have been in. I was in the championship match of the sectionals, which we had sectionals, district, and then state. So if I... uh, placed in sectionals, I was going to go on the district and maybe had hopes of going to state. So um, I was in sectionals. It was a championship round, and uh, we were both pretty equally um, matched. And uh, after two periods, if you don't know wrestling, wrestling is, consists of three periods that last two minutes each. It's the toughest six minutes in sports. I'll just let you know that. Um, but we were in our third period uh, and about to, about to get out, and we, we were tied five to five. And so we, we both started up, and um, we, we got after it. And all I needed was a, a, like a takedown. I needed to get behind this guy to get my two points, take him down, hold him, and then I would win the, the tournament and be able to go on to sectionals as the number one, or districts as the number one seed. So um, that's what happened, right? That's not what happened. <laughs> Much to my dismay, I'm tired, you know. We, we're both giving it our all, and I'm tired. And he grabs my leg, takes me down, gets behind me, gets two points, and he's trying to hold me. I'm about whipped. And um, with about 30 seconds left, I look up at the clock, and I see 30 seconds on the clock. And with 30 seconds left, I made this last-ditch last effort, and I gave it my all. I stood up, got the escape for the one point. I faced him, took him down, got behind him, got two points. He was so surprised. I must have, like, really scared him or whatever. And I ended up getting three back points for a bonus and won the match 11 to 7. Went into districts as the, as the number one seed. So there was a lot of effort in the last 30 seconds of that match. It wasn't easy. It took some, uh, a lot of work. And that's the idea behind this word, earnest love. Okay? So why would Peter call us to this kind of love? Why would he say, love one another earnestly? Well, here's why. The reality is that the stress of life can get to every one of us in this room, right? The reality is we're all, like, less than perfect. (laughs) Like, how many of you have ever gotten cranky with someone? How many of you have ever gotten ticked off at someone? Yeah. We, it all happens. The potential in this room for us to be hurt is extremely high, right? 
What Peter says is love one another with the kind of love that in those moments when you're about to lose your stuff on someone, you say, you know what, I'm going to love that person anyways. You give it that last ditch effort. That's why Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes that last ditch effort can feel like you're trying to stay alive in a wrestling match. Sometimes that last ditch effort means that you you lean into that conversation with your spouse. Like when you're about to walk out the door because you just got in an argument that you've had 50 times before, you say, I'm going to love this guy. I'm going to love this gal. I'm going to give it one more last ditch effort and see what God does with it. Sometimes when that kid is just about to drive you nuts, you know, I mean, there's like the cops are going to get called, right? You're, it's, it's loving that kid with a type of love. It's a last ditch effort. You're stretching yourself out. You're saying, I'm going to show this kid who Jesus is. I'm going to show this kid what Jesus looks like. There's so many ways that we can be hurt, that we have to look at those moments, in those moments, lean in and stretch out and love with that last-ditch effort. Because why do we do that? Because we muster it up in our, inside ourselves. We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, oh, Chuck, come on, get this straight. you got to get this thing right. That's not why we do it. We do it because that's what Jesus did. Jesus laid it all on the line when he went to the cross for our sin. His love was the finishing work on the cross, and it was his love that covered the multitude of our sins. That's the type of love that Peter says we should have for one another. The gospel changes our identity so that we can love with the type of love that Jesus had. Amen? All right, so... One way the gospel changes our identity is we are marked by love. The second way the gospel changes our identity is we are known for hospitality. Now, I love verse 9 because it's just so simple and practical. Look at, look at it with me. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this word for hospitality literally means having a love for outsiders. So when you place this word in the context of First Peter chapter 4, you get this idea of caring for people that are like advancing the mission, caring for strangers that are a part of advancing the mission. Now, this was critical in this particular time where Peter was writing these letters to. There were no roadway inns like we have over in Red Oak. You couldn't, you couldn't check into a hotel and be safe for the night. There, weren't, there wasn't the, the red coach. Uh, you couldn't get a room there for the night. Christians who were moving the mission forward, people who were doing what God had called them to do, they were sharing these letters with these churches, uh, they were advancing the mission forward, they were at the mercy of other Christians uh, for a place to stay at night. And like if, if people in the church didn't offer up their homes to these people that were advancing the mission of Jesus, like they had to go sleep on a park bench. And in those days, it was way different than, uh, than it would be for even 
me to go sleep on a park bench in West CB. It was a huge risk to be outside at night after dark because that's when bad things happen to people. So for them to not be hospitable meant really could mean the fact of, of life and death. And Peter was saying, hey, church, open your homes. But as you open your homes, also open your hearts. Um, be hospitable without grumbling. So how do we do this? Like, we don't have some of those problems in southwest Iowa, right? Like, it's not super dangerous to be outside. How do we be hospitable to people in southwest Iowa? Here's one way. So we, um, the mission of City Light Church is to multiply disciples in churches. That's what we want to do. And we do that a couple of different ways. We gather like we're doing here on Sunday mornings. And we, we worship Jesus. We feel that that's a piece, an important piece of advancing the mission of multiplying disciples. And then another thing we do is throughout the week, we scatter into city groups. And um, I'll just shoot straight with you. Being hospitable could mean hosting or leading a city group. We scatter into city groups every week. And being hospitable could mean for you opening your home up to host a city group. It's super simple, super easy. Maybe another way, um, this might, way might be a little bit more intimidating. I'll tell you a story of a couple in our church. Their names are Ray and Heidi Peters. And uh, they used to live in Minden out in the country for years. And they sold their home and moved into Council Bluffs. Uh, they moved into a part of our city that um, like, isn't the nicest, but there were big homes and so they bought a four-bedroom home with tons of space. They're empty nesters, so they had a lot of spare room. And their intention was to buy a bigger home so that they could have room to take in people who may need some, some place to stay. Um, about the time that they bought their home, there was a guy by the name of Matt Keller, and uh, he lived over in Omaha. We had just brought him on at City Light Council Bluffs as our uh, church planning resident. And Matt... If you know anything about church planning residents, we pay them hardly any money. They raise their funds, and uh, it's, um, it, it can be a little trying at first. So Matt didn't have a whole lot of coin in his pocket, and uh, he needed a place to stay. He couldn't find a roommate, couldn't afford to stay on his own. And so when Ray and Heidi heard about Matt's you know, position, they said, why don't you just come stay with us? They opened up their home to somebody that they didn't know, um, and eventually, Matt went on to be part of a team that planted a church in Kansas City. But they opened their home to someone that they didn't know in order to show, they showed hospitality. They were doing exactly what Peter is talking about here. You say, Chuck, there ain't no way I'm leading a city group. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to open my home to strangers. That just doesn't feel right to me, and I'll be honest with you, I get it. It'd be hard for me to do, too. Uh, we've done it once or twice, but it was really hard, and I have a gun. So uh, it, it, it was all right. I felt safe. <laughs> Here's another way you can show hospitality. What if, you, what if you offered up your truck when somebody needed help moving? What if you made a deal or made a meal, not a deal? You could make a deal too, but what if you made a meal? What if you made a meal for a neighbor just because? What if you... Um, 
What if you saw that neighbor instead of complaining about how messy their yard is and the weeds that get into your yard? What if you helped them? What if you gave them a hand? Those are ways that you can show hospitality. Um, We show hospitality not because, again, we want to lift ourselves up by the bootstraps and just do what is right. We show hospitality because we have a hospitable God. Hospitality is important is because our God is a hospitable God. We love strangers because we've been loved by the Father when we were still strangers. Ephesians 2 says this, For through him, talking about Jesus, we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. In Jesus, we are the outsider who is loved. In Jesus, we're the sinner who is saved. We are the stranger who is welcome. As welcome strangers, we should be quick to welcome other strangers. We're hospitable not because we're good people. We're hospitable because we serve a hospitable God. Amen? Amen. All right, so the third way the gospel changes our identity is we are sustained by God's grace. We're marked by love. I want to make sure you're tracking with me. We're marked by love. We're known for hospitality, and we're sustained by God's grace. Look in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, there are several different directions when we, uh, that we could go here when we talk about uh, gifts. But what Peter is trying to teach us here in this text is that uh, God created us for diversity within unity. Some people serve. Some people lead. Some people teach. We don't all sing the same note. We're, we, we live in a way that is harmonious. We work together. Each person in this room, you reflect something unique about God. You reflect something unique about what Jesus has done in you. Each of us in this room have different tastes. We have, we're designed just a little bit differently. We each have different types of insights. But here's the key. Peter is telling us that these gifts are things that we have received. They're not ours. But we're simply to be good stewards of those gifts. The church is sustained by God through grace and not by our own strength. Let me say that again. This church is sustained by God through grace and not by our own strength. That's good news, City Light. That's good news. God, through his grace, gifts his church to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. This church right here has a particular identity right here in this community, and there are things that God has planned for this church to do, and he's equipped this church to be able to do those things. 
This church will push back the darkness here in Emerson and in southwest Iowa. You're going to accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish as you work together with the unique giftings and unique insights that the Holy Spirit has gifted you with. Let me turn this page. The identity of this church, it's not wrapped up in this tall, good-looking guy on the front. That's not, who, that's not who this church is, is wrapped up in. That's, that's not the identity of this church. The identity of this church isn't about this group of people here that are excited about what God is doing. The identity of this church is in Jesus, who told Peter a couple of decades earlier that he was going to build his church. That's who the identity of this church is wrapped up in. God, in his grace, sustains his church by providing people to be a part of his church that are uniquely gifted to build his church. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can explain it this way. Um, a number of years ago, uh, my brother-in-law and I, we had, a, uh, we had a business that built custom homes. And um, one of the, I'd never, we'd like just started the business. It was our very first house, and I had never built a home from scratch. And so we both thought it might be a good idea to, uh, to do one uh, as much as we could. We had to sub out like the, the electrical and the plumbing, some of those things that you need licenses for. Uh, but we thought it'd be a good idea just to, to build it from the ground up so that I knew the process of building a home, which would help me in the process of dealing with contractors and those different types of things. And so we did that. So it started off great. Like, we had a really good time renting the equipment and digging the, uh, digging the crawl space. We built the forms, ordered the cement truck, uh, poured the cement, got everything all squared away, ordered the lumber from the lumber company, got it delivered, and began to frame up this house. And it was going phenomenal. It was so much fun to go to work. Until we got to the roof. <laughs> now... <laughs> this house was a little bit of a complex design, and uh, when we got to the roof, we didn't have a clue as to what we were doing. It was an absolute mess. Uh, we wasted so much lumber uh, making the cuts that, uh, that wouldn't work. I mean, on paper, we saw the design, but we just couldn't make the right cut in order to make that thing the right pitch in order to put the decking on and all that kind of stuff. It was an absolute mess. He started yelling at me. I started yelling at him, and at... In, in like what felt like a turn of a hat, it, uh, it was miserable to go to work. We started yelling at each other, arguing, and it was just a really, really tough time. But just at the right time, God provided another person who actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> this guy could look at the plans, and he started making these different kinds of cuts that we had never seen before. And uh, all we had to do was nail them on, and it worked out really good. Together, we built a quality house. Each of us were equipped to build that house together, and work became fun again. God, in his grace, provided what we needed. That's what, we, that's what Peter's trying to teach here. As we go on, as we work on the part of the church that God has called us to work in, Jesus has given us unique giftings to be able to see the church build that he is building. Um, he says, I will give you what you need 
so that my church will be built. And you guys are doing that here in Southwest Iowa. The gospel has changed the identity of people in this room. And you guys go and you share the gospel. And people are getting baptized on a regular basis. God has changed the identity of people in this room. And as a result, uh, like, bills are being paid. You guys are giving. The gospel has changed your identity to the point where you say, hey, what, this stuff that I have, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give to the church so that bills can be paid and funds could be raised to make disciples and plant churches. You guys are, the gospel has gifted people in this church that have a, um, have a concern, have a, uh, a desire to reach people that are suffering from addiction. And God is doing a work in people's lives. The gospel has changed the identity of people in this room that now think in strategic ways um, and it, they advance the mission of this church of multiplying disciples and churches. The gospel has changed the identity of people in this room and God has uniquely gifted you and you guys are pushing back the darkness and the oppression that's in this city and you guys are seeing amazing things being done for Jesus. So we say yes and amen. I love that. We celebrate what God is doing in this room. But think about this, guys. Think about this. This right here, it didn't exist 18 months ago. Right? What's in this room didn't exist 18 months ago. Don't ever get over that because that stuff is the stuff that's going to spur what you're going to do in the future. This gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church was, the, was a dream in the heart of a small group of people, and many of you are in this room. But God, in his grace, he gave life to that dream. He gave hope to that dream. He gave gifts to that dream. He bought people to buy into that dream. And by God's grace, we're sitting here this morning and we're celebrating, we're worshiping God, we're praising God for what he's doing, and disciples are being multiplied, and you guys are, are going to be planting a church soon. God is going to do a work in the southwest Iowa and he's going to build his church through you guys. That's a, that's a great thing to be a part of, isn't it? It's a gift. It's a grace. It's a privilege to be a part of that. See, delight. the gospel changes our identity as a church. We're to be a people that loves earnestly as Jesus loved us. We are to be a people that shows hospitality. Just as Jesus lived and invited us into his family, we're to be that kind of people. And over and over again, we come back to the table of grace to eat the bread and to drink the cup, realizing that we never get over the need for Jesus to change our hearts. Keep coming back to Jesus. Keep looking to the gospel to change your identity, and God will do an amazing thing good work in you and through you. Can we pray? God, we thank you. Oh, we just thank you.
for what you've done. God, for the lives that are here in this room, the peoples who, people whose, whose hearts have been made alive, who um, they've stirred the waters that's in the, in the baptismal tank over here, Father. Um, you did a, a work in their heart. The gospel changed their identity. God, I'm just so grateful for the people in this room who, um, who know that. And God, I just pray right now, um, if there's someone here who doesn't know that, if there's somebody here who um, hasn't experienced the grace of Jesus in their life, they don't know that what you did on the cross, you did for them. They haven't um, grabbed a hold of that. God, I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes this morning. Um, I don't do this very often, but if you're here this morning and you're like, I want Jesus to change my identity, I'm tired of the bull crap that has been stirred up in me because of my family tree. I'm tired of the failures. If you're here this morning and you're like, I want, I want Jesus to change my identity. Would you do, it's super simple, do three things. Would you admit, just admit that you're a sinner, that you can't do this on your own. You're not made to be alone. Just admit that you're a sinner. You've messed up. You've screwed up. It's okay. Our Father is on his knee, and he's got his arms wide open, ready to receive you as his son, ready to receive you as his daughter. Would you just believe then what Jesus did on the cross? He did for you. That the blood that he spilled, he spilled with you in his mind. He shed that blood with you in his mind. And then lastly, would you just confess? Commit. Turn your life over to Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. And to commit your life to follow him for the rest of your life. If that's your heart this morning, would you tell somebody about it? Would you get with Jason, get with me, whatever, we'll talk and pray with you. We'd love to do that. Father, we love you. We love what you're doing in this room right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.